0: Well, anyone that is just convinced Jesus is just another good moral teacher needs only to read the Sermon on the Mount with close attention to see that when he says, I have come not to abolish but to fulfill the law, when he says that you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he's putting himself as the voice of God. You have heard that it was said. Namely, in the Ten Commandments, in the commandments of God given to Moses in the Old Testament. But I say to you, he is the law living among us. He is the law in person. This makes me think of one of my favorite little meditations on the Ten Commandments. We see the two tablets of stone in art, and they usually depict, you know, numbers one through three on one of the tablets and four through ten on another. And we understand that, talking about the law of love of God, and the law of love of God for our neighbor, and the two complement one another. But another way of looking at what are these two tablets of stone is actually that on the first tablet would have been numbered commandments 1 through 10. So what's on the second tablet? Well, numbers 1 through 10. What's going on here? Well, in the ancient world, when you make a covenant as a ruler with your people, you would etch your law, the law of that covenant, on stone. One of the stones would be in the palace of the king, and one of the stones would be out there in the public square, so that each side would have their copy of the law, their sign of the covenant. So the same goes with God. He makes one copy for himself. I am going to keep my end of this covenant. I am going to remain faithful to this And he gives one to the people. You will keep your end of the covenant. You will keep this. And yet they go together. And what does that mean? It means that God is with Israel. It's not just a ruler who stays up there and expects us to follow all these rules down here. He is with us. He is with us. Those two tablets of stone are put into the Ark of the Covenant that goes with Israel all the way through the desert, all the way to the promised land that dwells in God's temple. And so Jesus comes along and fulfills the law. Not this law written on tablets of stone, but a law written on a human heart. That law, which is written on the very heart of God, which the spirit we hear in that second reading scrutinizes the very depths of God. That law is a mysterious law. It's a mystery to us. What's on the heart of God? Well, it's been shown to us most perfectly, not just in these 10 commandments, but in the heart of Jesus Christ. He is the law with us. He is the law written on God's heart and on a human heart, those two together in one. And so that's his vision for us as well. Not that we would simply follow these laws like any other rules of our life, but that we would internalize them, that we would take them into our own heart, let them be written on our very soul, that we would live by them all the days of our life. You know, The Ten Commandments themselves are remarkable. They show a different kind of authority than any other law of the old world. Uh, Not because of the first eight, though, however. When you look at them, you can see, well, other cultures would say, do not kill. Others might say, even do not commit adultery, do not steal. But you get to those last two, thou shalt not covet. Thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's goods, It's something remarkable, that this law has governance over the very interior life of human beings. No other law can do that. No other law can tell you what you ought to think or how you ought to feel except a law that comes from your creator, that knows your heart better than you know it yourself. And that's where Jesus really picks up on when he says, you know, you've heard it said, Thou shall not kill, but remember, not even to be angry with your brother, not even, again, kind of picking up on that coveting, not to covet what he has. That's where sin really starts. Uh, We generalize uh, this teaching of Jesus into the teaching of the seven deadly sins. Really, that's exactly what he's pointing to. These seven deadly sins maybe aren't, you know, actual sins in themselves, but they're like these attitudes, you know, looking with lust, you know, holding in anger, you know, having envy towards another, not living in truth. You know, maybe hard to pinpoint exactly where they are in our life, but they certainly can unwrap our soul, that inner part of us. And they keep that law from sinking in and changing our life. And so uh, to run through the seven deadly sins uh, real quick and to see uh, in them, you know, God's plan for us, for human freedom, each of these seven deadly sins, sort of like a chain, you know, sort of like a, a type of slavery, really. You know, lust is kind of the first of the deadly sins, the lowest one, actually. It's sort of that slavery uh, to to desire, that slavery even to love and to relationships in our life uh, that holds us back from the real relationship, God who is relationship, God who is the deepest desire of our soul. And so to break free from that, uh, as Jesus encourages us in his Sermon on the Mount, leads to a higher form of freedom. Uh, next is gluttony. Yes, making food and just the simple pleasures of life, sort of being a slave to those and missing out on all the uh, the true nourishments that God wants to give us. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Uh, there's something greater that, sus- that needs to sustain us than the simple food of this world, the food of eternal life. And then next, greed. You know, sometimes money can be our slave driver. We do everything in order to make that extra buck. We do everything to have that security that money brings us. Uh, and yet money in the end makes a very poor master. Again, it cannot buy our happiness for us. Uh, it just turns into this empty hole that we keep trying to fill and fill and fill. But God did create in us that desire to earn so as to give, the desire to be generous, to have something to give your, your life for. So that generosity being the antidote to our greed. And sloth, yes, uh, we have this deadly sin, this capacity to make comfort our slave, or or to be slave to comfort, really. And instead, you know, God, in the beginning, he rested on the seventh seventh day. This true rest, a a different kind of rest, uh, which fulfills us, which gives us that strength to go on in the mission, have that zeal, for the kingdom of God. And anger, yes, God has put on our heart that desire for justice, but sometimes that can turn on us and become our master. We want everything to be fair, at least for us. Everything to be just, at least for us. And so revenge, uh, we become a slave to. And so instead, to become like God, who is both just and merciful. Mercy on ourselves, mercy on others, and receiving that mercy from God, uh, living according to that, letting, again, the commandments of God sink into our heart. Uh, envy. You know, relying on our own successes, and if someone else is succeeding more than us, uh, we grow sad by that. We become enslaved by that rat race, always chasing after the next thing and getting the best, better of someone else. And to that, uh, God has made us for glory instead, for glory. He wants us to realize that he is proud of us, that he sees us, that he sees the success that he has worked in our life, and that it is enough for him ought to be enough for us to receive his glory, to, say, to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful steward. And then finally, pride, the most deadly of the deadly sins, really becoming almost our own slave master. We making the worst of all, you know, slaves to our own ego, our own self-importance. And instead, you know, we were made for God. We were made in the image of God. So yes, pride is the most tempting of all sins to make the image of God, God himself. But we were made for you, O God. And our hearts, they are truly restless, as St. Augustine says, until they rest in him. So before you, is set life and death, good and evil, as the book of Sirach told us in that first reading. And so to choose life, uh, to choose uh, these ways of virtue, the way that God has designed our hearts uh, to cast off, again, the the roots of death, those seven deadly sins, to have them crushed. Uh, Usually we talk about Mary crushing the head of the serpent. Mary also crushes the heads of these seven deadly sins, the capital sins. And so to pray for her intercession, she who received again the law of the Lord into her hearts, her enunciation, and that law was made flesh, made a heart for us, Jesus, who is this very law dwelling among us.